0: John chapter 13, and we'll begin reading with verse 18. I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he most assuredly. I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to Him to ask who it was of whom He spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, He said to Him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is He to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, He gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. In our last study, we considered the occasion on which Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Now, He didn't wash their feet merely because He was concerned about the smell or sanitation as they gathered around the table. But He washed their feet to teach them a lesson in humility and in loving service. And in that visible lesson that Jesus gave, He also gave Peter a glimpse into the cleansing work that He was about to do in His own death on the cross. When Jesus died, He bore the penalty for the sins of all who would put their faith in Him alone. And those who are His, according to the Apostle Paul, are washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus assured Peter in verse 10, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Peter, you can be certain that you are clean. He says, you are clean. That's a plural you. It's y'all, you all, all of you disciples. You are clean. But not all of you. A few verses down, Jesus exhorts the disciples to do what He has done. They should humbly serve one another. And we should, by extension of that, humbly and lovingly serve one another. Just as Jesus served them. And he tells them in verse 17 that if you know these things and if you do them, you are blessed. And we pick up our text today with a similar saying in verse 18. Jesus said, I do not speak concerning all of you. Not all of the disciples are blessed. They all know what Jesus has taught and they've seen Him illustrate His teaching perfectly. But they will not all do them. Not all of the disciples will selflessly humble themselves and serve the needs of the others. Not all of them are concerned with loving and caring for the other disciples. In fact, there is one in particular who will do the most selfish and unloving act that any disciple could ever do. One of these disciples will commit what we might could call the world's greatest sin. And Jesus says, I know whom I have chosen. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose Judas? Is it possible that choosing Judas to be his disciple was a mistake? Did Judas blindside Jesus? Did he miss something? And I hope that you're already saying to yourself, absolutely not. No way. Jesus is clear. I know whom I have chosen. And that includes Judas. But that doesn't answer the question as to why. Thankfully, the text does give us at least a couple of reasons why. Let's consider them and then we'll move on with the story. Jesus said in verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. One reason why Jesus chose Judas to be his disciple is that he might fulfill Scripture. What Jesus says here in verse 18 is a reference to Psalm 41 verse 9. In Psalm 41, David is writing about his own experiences. But God also used him to say something prophetically about Judas. In Psalm 41 verse 9, David says, Even my own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, Who ate my bread has lifted up his heel against me. And Jesus applies that verse, that experience of David to Judas. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now the metaphor of lifting up one's heel paints a picture in our mind of Kicking someone who's vulnerable, or tripping, maybe an unsuspecting victim, to eat bread with someone and then turn against them in this way was, in the words of one writer, a gross breach of hospitality. Even to us, it seems cruel to enjoy someone else's food, to enjoy a a meal with someone, only to immediately turn and betray that person. And that's exactly what Judas would do. But what Jesus wants us to see is that in choosing Judas, he was actually fulfilling Scripture. And that should give us confidence. That the Word of God is true, it is reliable, it is without error. A second reason Jesus chose Judas, knowing full well what he would do, was that he might continue to prove that he was exactly who he claimed to be. Look at verse 19, he said, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am that I am He. The fact that Jesus chose His own betrayer and predicted that Judas would betray Him gives that much more evidence that Jesus really is God. Think about how good it was of Jesus to let His disciples know what was about to happen. These guys don't exactly have the strongest faith. They were shaky in their understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be. They keep waiting for Jesus to set up His kingdom and destroy the enemies of Israel. They don't understand that the Christ came to die as a sacrifice for sins first. Imagine if Jesus hadn't told them any of this and then Judas betrayed Him. Imagine that Jesus didn't give them any warning and all of a sudden their leader is betrayed by one of their own and He's dead. How devastating would that have been for the disciples? It was devastating enough to see their Lord crucified. But Jesus, here in John chapter 13, lets them know ahead of time what's about to happen, so that when He comes back, they will have no doubt that it was His plan all along. No one can predict the betrayal of one of their closest friends. No one can predict their own death with such accuracy. Unless, of course, that person is the Son of God. Jesus predicted the betrayal of one of His own disciples so that the rest of the disciples would believe that He really is their Messiah and God. Notice one more thing about this before we move on to the rest of the narrative. Verse 20, Most assuredly I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives Me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. Now we've heard Jesus say something like this before. But I I struggled with the verse at first because it does seem sort of disconnected from the rest of what's going on in the chapter. Why did he say this? What's the significance of it here? And I I can think of maybe a couple of reasons. One, these guys are going to need some assurance after Judas betrays Jesus when they find out what he's done, they're, they're going to be rattled. How could we have trusted him? How could we have accepted him? How could we have been so blind to what he was doing and received him as one of our own? And I think Jesus is saying, guys, listen, don't be so concerned about your acceptance of Judas as you are your acceptance of the one who chose Judas. I chose Judas. I sent Judas to preach with you. You accepted him because I sent him. And your acceptance of anyone I send isn't merely an acceptance of that individual, but it's an acceptance of me, the Son of God, and the Father who sent me. So I think Jesus is trying to give His disciples some assurance before they find out what happens. Another thing he might have been doing was reminding them that despite this awful betrayal, the work still goes on, right? When Jesus said something like this to them before, he's sending them to do his work, to preach his gospel in the world. Judas might have betrayed me, he might have forsaken us, but the commandment is still to go on and preach to all nations. Whoever receives you isn't just receiving you, they're receiving me. Don't let the betrayal of Judas hinder you from the work that is to be done. I think that can also serve as an example for us. Inevitably, people who we look up to are going to let us down. Christians that we see as maybe more spiritual than us, or they they are at a point that we wish to attain, we will imitate them, but they are going to fall. And despite whatever failure or betrayal another person may bring upon us, our job is still the same. We receive not mere men and women who profess to be sent, but we receive the One who sent them. The One who sends those who preach the Word of God. And when those who were once faithful fall and disappoint us or betray us, the work still goes on. We still go preach the good news of Jesus to all nations. The betrayal of others doesn't stop us from being faithful. The disciples would need that encouragement, I think. Let's move on with the story Verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, He was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray Me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom He spoke. For obvious reasons, Jesus is troubled when He talks about things like this. Remember, He's only hours... Away from the crucifixion. We're going to be studying these next few chapters over the course of weeks and months. But this happens in only a matter of hours in the life of Jesus. He's so close to the cross. And he says something that shakes the disciples to their very core. He says, most assuredly, one of you will betray me. What? I mean, think about that from their perspective. Up to this point, they're, just, they're enjoying a meal like they always have. Jesus is talking about fulfilling Old Testament verses. He's you know, telling us that He's predicting things so that we'll know who He is. It's just another day in the life of the disciples. Then they choke on their food and spit out their drink whenever He says, Listen, one of you will betray Me. The panic sets in, right? John says that they started looking around at each other. They were perplexed. But this might surprise us. It wasn't the kind of looking around that we might expect from them. They weren't looking around trying to find out which of their friends it would be. Is it him? Do you think it's going to be? You know, that's what we come to expect of the disciples at this point. It's got to be him. I know it's him. That Peter guy, he opens his mouth every chance he gets. If anybody is dramatic and, 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 and unstable, it's Peter. Or John, he's always, you know, screeching up close to Jesus like they're real close. What if it's him? No, the other Gospels tell us that they were looking around because each one was afraid that it might be his own self. Matthew says that each one began asking Jesus, Lord, is it I? Lord, is it I? They were scared. The disciples were right to recognize that each one of them possessed the potential of betraying Jesus. We all do. We're fallen people. They were right to see that in themselves. Lord, is it I? Verse 23 says, Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of His disciples whom Jesus loved. Now, we've talked about this before. John doesn't name himself in this book. But he just refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And why wouldn't you refer to yourself that way? What better way could you describe yourself other than one that Jesus loved? Unlike the paintings that we usually see of the Last Supper, Jesus and the disciples weren't sitting in chairs on one side of a table all looking at the camera, right? They were reclining around a table. That is, they would lie on their left side, prop up on their left elbow, and the right hand was free to grab the food or the drink or, you know, wave at somebody, whatever. They would enjoy their meal in that reclining position. So if John was sitting on Jesus' right side, he would have been very close to Jesus. This was actually a position of honor at the table, to sit next to the host of the feast. There were two places of honor. The other, obviously, would have been the the left side. One sat on the right and one on the left. Verse 24 says, Simon Peter therefore motioned to him, To ask who it was of whom he spoke. Now this seems like typical Peter, doesn't it? He's got to know. Apparently Peter is sitting across from John and Jesus, so he isn't the one sitting in the other seat of honor like some have suggested. He gives John a nod, you know, doing the neck twitch. Ask him. So John obliges, verse 25. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, John said to him, Lord... Who is it? Jesus, I imagine, answers John in a a quiet whisper so that no one else will hear. In verse 26, he says, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Later on, we'll find out that the rest of the disciples were oblivious to Judas's intention. So it must be that Jesus told John discreetly. He didn't announce it for the whole group to hear. And He did it. He showed John who it was with a sign that no one would have ever expected, never, never interpreted it to be an identifier of a betrayer. He dipped a piece of bread and gave it to Judas. What you need to know about this is that to be served a piece of bread by the host of a supper in this way, it was a token of friendship. Jesus identified to John the disciple who would betray him by offering a token of friendship. Jesus knew who he was. Isn't this typical of Jesus? Showing kindness and honor even to his worst enemies? Think about this too. If the seats on the immediate right and left side of the host were seats of honor, John, according to the description here, we think he's on the right side of Jesus. If Judas was close enough to Jesus that Jesus could just hand him this piece of bread while they were reclining. That leads me to think that the other seat of honor at this table was occupied by none other than Judas Iscariot. So close to Jesus physically. Given such honor by Jesus and the other disciples. Offered such an opportunity of friendship by Jesus. But in his heart, Judas hates Jesus. He signed up for a kingdom. He signed up for being rid of the Romans. He signed up for having everything he could ever want. But all Jesus talks about is sacrifice and service and death. So he steals from the money bag. He betrays Jesus to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver. I've wasted three years of my life. I'm going to get something for this and I'm hitting the road. He's got a plan. And here at the table, Judas has squandered his last opportunity to repent of his hidden inward sin and embrace Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 27 says, Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Judas has sinned so far and rejected Christ so long that there is no turning back. He has now been given over to Satan to do the most evil thing a person could ever do. Jesus, in cryptic language that the other disciples wouldn't have noticed, told Judas to carry out the act... That would kick off the chain of events that would lead to his own death. Judas is now under the control of Satan. Yet even then, he is still subject to the will and plan of Jesus. So Jesus says, what you do, do quickly. Verse 28 says, No one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, Buy those things we need for the feast. There was a, a feast that took place right after Passover. Or that he should give something to the poor. You know, sometimes people would buy a Passover meal for a poor family, like we do with uh, Thanksgiving bags. You know, Provide that meal that someone else can enjoy. Man, this is a good meal. Isn't it delicious, Philip? Oh, look, J- Judas is leaving. Bye, Judas. See you later. <laughs> Wonder where he's going. Oh, he must be going out to get some supplies for the feast after the Passover. Nah, I bet he's going out to get something good for the poor. Judas has such a good heart. They had no idea. The disciples were clueless. They couldn't imagine what Judas was about to do. All they could do was speculate. He did have the money bag after all. But Judas knew exactly what Jesus meant. And he left immediately. Verse 30 says Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately. And it was night. And it was night night had come. Jesus said back in chapter 9 verse 4, I must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Night had come in the ministry of Jesus and the lives of His disciples. All the work that Jesus came to do prior to His death had been done. No more miracles except for the, the one guy that got his ear cut off in the garden. For the next few hours, Jesus has His disciples to Himself. Now that the betrayer has gone, Jesus can focus on teaching His true disciples on this final night that they have together. Not only has night come in the ministry of Jesus, but night has come in the heart of Judas. He heard every sermon that Jesus ever preached. He heard every public prayer. He himself preached. He went out with the rest of the disciples to do miracles in the name of Jesus. But he rejected Jesus for who he was. Jesus didn't meet his expectations and Judas would not submit himself to the rule of his Messiah. Now, Judas will never see the light of day again. This is the last night he will ever walk out into. He'll go out, he'll sell this information on Jesus to the religious leaders. And before the morning dawns, he'll be so overwhelmed with regret that he'll hang himself. For Judas, truly it was night. What should we learn? Are there any lessons that we can take from this passage? I think so. Let me give you three. One, closeness in proximity does not guarantee closeness of heart. Only twelve people ever lived so close to Jesus, yet even among those twelve, one betrayed Him. Being close to the things of God does not necessarily mean that one is close to God. I talk about this a lot because I believe it's a bigger issue than many people realize and most people realize. There are so many people who grow up in and around church, the things of God, who pray the sinner's prayer, who get baptized, who take communion, who serve in ministries and in leadership, yet they have not been born again. How do I know? How do I know that's a problem? Because I was one. The American church is plagued with false converts. I don't want anyone to get angry with me for this, but I'd rather you get angry than to go unwarned. I'm concerned that possibly even some of you are in this same situation. I can't see your hearts. Closeness in proximity does not guarantee closeness of heart. But I think a second lesson we can learn is that even to the least deserving, Jesus offers friendship. If you're still in your sins, the Bible describes you as an enemy of God. I don't know if you realize that or not. If you are in your sins, you are God's enemy. But even as Judas was on the verge of betraying Jesus, Jesus still offered him bread. If you're one who's been close to the things of God, but you're still rebellious in your heart, Jesus offers you forgiveness. He went to the cross to bear the penalty for your sin. Repent. Put off your hypocrisy. Turn away from your sin. Let go of your self-righteousness and throw yourself on the mercy of God. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Though you are His enemy, He will make you His child. He will forgive you. One last lesson I think could benefit... Christians is that Jesus is in complete control. He chose Judas. He predicted his betrayal. When Judas was finally taken over by Satan, Jesus even commanded that he do what he planned to do. If you're a Christian and you feel betrayed or deserted, know that Jesus has experienced everything that you experience exponentially. And just as He was sovereign over the events of His own life, He is sovereign over the things that are happening in your life. Nothing happens outside of the scope of that which God has ordained. And He works all things according to the counsel of His will for His own glory, for the good of His people. And you can have confidence in that. You can trust Him. You can rest in Him because He cares for you. He's in complete control. This isn't a a pump you up and get you excited kind of passage. But it is God's inspired Word. May He use it to draw us to Himself. Stand with me as we pray. Lord, you have been so kind to us as to give us your word. God, may we who know you trust you. You are sovereign over all things. You love us. You care for us. You will work everything to our good to make us more like Jesus. And I pray that we would trust you. I pray that if there's a Judas among us, that they would not sin so far and reject you so long that they reach a place of no return. But I pray that while there is breath in their lungs, while their heart still beats, even today, that they would repent and put their trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen.